I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to, again, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, uh, chapter 15. Uh, Matthew chapter 15. This morning we're going to look at the first 20 verses. Now, ever, ever since we returned to Matthew's gospel back in December, we've kind of been doing it in, periodically in, in chunks. Uh, but ever since we returned, Jesus has been teaching and feeding, in a sense, his disciples, those who have committed their lives to following him. Now, often we, we, we've seen, uh, as we've been going through these passages, we've seen a large crowd that was there, people who were interested in Jesus, wanted to hear from him, see what he did, and, and they had different reasons for that. But even though they the crowd heard much of his teaching it was really his close followers that's that's who he was feeding into and we've seen these times when he'd be with a big crowd and then take them aside and maybe one would ask a question or, or he would tell them and and give them an understanding of the, of the parable uh, or share with them the, the key piece that's needed to be understood and and we see that they were the ones who were able to understand they were the ones who, who had hearts that were able to take in His Word, and it was able to, uh, and over time it would do this even after He left. We can see it in the book of Acts, certainly, uh, and in the epistles, but it would bear fruit, much fruit. And so we've seen how He, he taught them about the kingdom of heaven, chapter 13, different aspects of the kingdom. And, and since then, He's taught them other things that they needed to know as those who are close followers of His, living this, this life, living out what the Lord has called them to. And last week we, we saw, as He taught, what it looks like to depend upon Him and to live out their faith. Uh, we saw the Apostle Peter, if you were here, step out of the boat and uh, step out in full dependence upon his Lord and his Master, doing that which otherwise, under any other circumstances, would have been impossible for him to do. And that was teaching for us as well. And so this week we're going to continue to see that he's using the circumstances that he and the disciples find themselves in as another opportunity to teach his disciples. Uh, even though, again, we're going to see a, a crowd of people there during part of it. But he's teaching the disciples this time about, and you can look at the, the title of the sermon, a, a Heart for True Worship. He's teaching them how to have that as opposed to hearts that are only outwardly honoring him. And, and what an important message that he's teaching here that we need to hear as well. So again, Matthew 15, uh, verses 1 through 20. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, 
And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy to you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Please join me in, in prayer. Father, we thank you for these words, this teaching of the Lord Jesus. And we recognize, at least to some extent, its importance, not just for the people that he was immediately teaching but it's food that's needed for us as well in our condition, with our hearts. We are not different from those that He was teaching in that sense. And so we pray, Father, that You would feed us with it, that You would open our eyes, open our hearts to be ready to receive, and help us, therefore, to be those who, out of this, uh, produce true fruit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, when, when I was a, a young Christian, I really struggled mightily with a particular question. It was a question that I sensed was, was really important. And that is, what does it look like to honor the Lord? Now, this is not a question that is as easy to answer as we often may think that it is, uh, especially to someone who's young in the faith. Now, the problem is, when it comes to honoring the Lord, we can easily become confused. Uh, we can easily come up with our own ways and, and think that, well, this really honors the Lord. But the problem is, uh, inside of us, that uh, what we may think honors the Lord 
in fact, is doing something else, and it's not doing that at all. Now, I, I really struggled with this in one of the places was <coughs> in the context of the local church is applied to public worship. Now, this was a church that, that Amy and I came into, and uh, we, we were fed in, in a number of ways, and, and there, there was a, a wonderful sense in it of, at a certain time period of, of growth and of opening of eyes, but over time I began to struggle with certain things more and more. And now a good bit of the worship service, uh, just to give you an idea, uh, was music. And uh, not just music, but wonderful music. In fact, those that they had uh, as musicians were were outstanding. We would come after the service and, and talk with one another and say, are, are these professional music? This is outstanding. This is excellent. Uh, and the whole worship service itself was carefully choreographed, not just the music and, and the performers, but other things that were thrown in uh, as well. Uh, and there was interpretive dance by those who were very talented. Uh, there were testimonies that were given in movie clips uh, at times, both old and, and recent movies, uh, in order to explain things. And, and I remember struggling, uh, like I said, mightily, because it was, in a sense, a great experience. Uh, and, and, and the people seemed to be genuinely moved by this uh, service and the different aspects of the service. Uh, and God's Word was used. It was opened up. It was there in the songs that we sang, the testimony, and in the sermon as well. There were the right words about about God, yet there was something in all of it that didn't seem to be right, some aspects. And, it, and I, I began to ask this question, was all of this really, was it really honoring the Lord? Was that what it was about, about really worshiping Him from a right place? Now, here's the problem. <laughs> As you and I live our lives daily, and it could be this, it could be in worship uh, it could be in the decisions that we make daily. We can easily believe that we as a people, we as individuals, as a family, that we are honoring God by our actions and by our words. And there can be so much outward evidence that this, this whatever it is, this must be what God desires, what He wants, that this is exactly what would be pleasing to Him Yet at the same time, as we saw earlier in our reading of, of Micah 6, the criteria that we use in order to make that determination could be the wrong criteria. It could be wrong. And that's what we're dealing with in this passage. Uh, in this passage, there is this group that comes to Jesus, and they, they have much to commend them. Uh, in fact, so much that I think if we were at that day, if we were amongst Jesus' disciples, uh, that there would be much to convince us that this group, the Pharisees and the scribes who came to Jesus in this case, that they know what it looks like to honor God, then, and that they are the ones, if there's anybody, they're the ones to teach it. You know, there is a place, a little bit uh, into our passage, verse 12, where uh, it, it, it seems that the disciples are afraid that Jesus will offend the Pharisees and the scribes because they have this sense, well, they, they are 
Yeah, you might say God's anointed. They're the ones who know these things. And that was the sense of the people. These were not just the religious elites, but the Pharisees and the scribes were seen as those who truly knew God's word. Yet Jesus, look at verse 7, Jesus says to them, you hypocrites. And then he goes on and he says, well, looking back to the Old Testament, to Isaiah's prophecy, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, he's pointing to something clearly superficial here. Uh, these men seem to know the Lord, seem to honor the Lord, to worship the Lord, to teach others to do the same. Yet Jesus is saying it's not genuine. Jesus' point here is that true worship, true worship comes from hearts that are truly united with the Lord's heart, that, that want the same things that He does. Not perfectly, but they're given over to Him. And you know, that's what we should want. That's what we should desire and look for in ourselves. Uh, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says this, You will seek me, this is the Lord, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We know from God's Word that we're unable to do that on our own. Yet when the Lord does a work and opens our eyes to be able to see Him and our hearts are given over to Him, that's exactly what takes place. Now, so if this is true, if true worship comes from hearts that are truly united to the Lord, then how do we discern this? How do we make sure that in our own lives, uh, in our own choices, that we are doing that which truly honors the Lord, and that there's, there's nothing that is impeding our ability to honor and to worship the Lord. Uh, what do we need to know? What do we need to look out for? Well, a couple of things. First, we need to ask the question, what is it that often impedes that ability to, to honor, to serve, to worship the Lord? What stands in the way? There's something that stands in the way of our fellowship with the Lord. What is it? What is it that we have to look out for? And, and these are just in general terms that we see here. We need to beware of that which is man-centered rather than God-centered. That which exalts and lifts up man rather than lifting up God. Now, the, the Pharisees and the scribes who came from Jerusalem, they accused Jesus and his disciples of failing. This is what they came with. This was kind of the message. It was, it was clear. It was uh, premeditated, if you will. They came ahead with this plan. But they accused them of failing to remain in a ceremonially clean state. They basically said they were, they were unclean, which would make them unable to worship the Lord, unable to be with the Lord in fellowship, unable to be in close proximity with others who uh, were worshiping the Lord. Why? Well, verse 2, 
because they didn't wash their hands when they ate. Now, just to be clear on this, this is not talking about uh, them not washing their hands because of the spread of germs. That's immediately what comes to our mind. You're going to eat, you've got to wash your hands because of the spread of germs. No, that's evidently a more recent invention of perhaps mothers and more recently the CDC. Uh, but I, I don't want to make light of it. We do need to wash our hands, but this is different, categorically different. Now, a little bit of background. Uh, the, the Pharisees and the scribes were, in general, referring to instruction that the Lord had given to His people in the Old Testament, especially if you go to the book of Exodus, uh, but even more so, far more so in the book of Leviticus. Uh, you, you'll, you'll see these laws. They're called cleanliness laws or clean and unclean laws. And they were set down by God for this purpose, to give an awareness of what happens when you have a holy God, truly holy God, and you have sinful man. That indwelling sin stands as a barrier to fellowship with God. So, in essence, as you go through those laws, if you're clean, then you're able to fellowship. If you're not clean, then you're unable to fellowship. And so, what these laws were teaching, that's, that was their purpose, was to teach, uh, and for obedience purposes, but they, they taught the people the need to discern themselves and to ask that question, am I in a place in which I am able to to worship the Lord. I'm able to fellowship with Him. Is my heart, I, I need to discern my own heart. Or am I in a place in which there's work that needs to be done? There's an uncleanness that's there. This is what was, this was teaching the people about their need. And so when this group comes to Jesus and they ask Him, why do your disciples not wash their hands when they eat? It would seem that they are, they are concerned about Jesus and his, his followers not adhering to the commandments of God and, uh, and, and that they'd be left in an unclean state, unable to join in fellowship. This would be a problem. And, and they are the, the teachers and the elders, and they, they should be the ones to come. But that wasn't it. And Jesus reveals here the true motives of their hearts. Look at verse 3. Look at how he responds to them. Now, they had said in verse 2, they had said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Verse 3, he answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Now, he's, he's making a comparison there. Their tradition over against God's commandment. Now, you see this requirement there for the people to to wash their hands when they eat. If we go through and look at the laws, this was not actually a part of God's instruction. Uh, this was not a part of the clean and unclean laws. Rather, it was an addition that had been made to the Word, put in there by man, passed down by tradition, perhaps to, to, to try to ensure that certain things take place. Maybe with a good uh, thought in mind, but it was not part of God's Word. Now, is that something that you have in your mind that you look out for? Have you ever seen people add to God's Word? It could be in the area of worship, like I, I, I spoke about earlier. And I'll get into it in, in a moment. 
further. It could be in worship. It could be, uh, sometimes we'll see a, a dream. Somebody says they had a dream and it has taken them in this direction. It's guidance they need to follow. Others need to follow. And it's apart from God's Word. It could be modern day apostles. That's more serious. Uh, those who in some way are, are, are speaking for God, are, are changing or adding to Scripture. And there are many, many other areas, small, larger, uh, where, where people change or add to uh, and speak in a way that seems to be connected with Scripture. And that's where it becomes confusing. Because the starting point is what? The starting point is God's Word. His authoritative word, his true word. And then often the additions that are made, they seem to, to help with that in some way. They, they seem like they're there to contribute. But so often the change that occurs is a change ultimately in the meaning and in the focus of God's word. And it moves it from being God-centered to being man-centered, man-exalting. It can have the effect of replacing the commandments of God with the teachings or the tradition of man. And it's extremely dangerous. I mean, you can see that right there. We have God's Word that we are to follow. It speaks authoritatively into our lives. It gives us instruction. But when people begin to think that they're following God, but they're really following man, it becomes a tremendous problem. And that's what Jesus is pointing out by example here. Now, Jesus, in a sense, can't make it any more straightforward than this. Uh, he goes to one of God's ten commandments. He, he doesn't just pick an obscure uh, commandment somewhere that comes out of that, but uh, he, he goes to the fifth commandment, and, and he, he says, this is what God has commanded. Honor your father and your mother. And then he also lives the old show how egregious it, it is when they break that commandment. Death, up to that point, death can be the penalty. You know, I really think that the kids who are here should look at that and appreciate it. Death is no longer the penalty for dishonoring your parents. Isn't that a great thing? But it was at one time. And so you've got to recognize how important this is uh, to have that kind of a penalty there for dishonoring. And of course, it's not just those who are young here that need to pay attention to that. Some of us who are older still have parents, and, and we need to work that through. What does that look like? Uh, but Jesus goes on to, to compare the teaching that they've passed down to this commandment. If you look at verse 5, he says, But you say... Notice, it's not, this is what God says, but you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. In other words, they can be released from this commandment to care for their parents. And it appears part of that's good part financially as parents age to care for their parents by simply telling them that, you know what, whatever you would have gained for me, whatever, and that could be substantial over the years, but whatever that is, it's been given to God. Now, and of course, 
that might mean given to the temple, it might mean given to priests, but it's been given to God. Now, clearly they broke God's commandments here, or His commandment. They, and they taught others to do the same. How? By substituting their tradition, their word, for God's commandment. Uh, so they remove that which exalts, that which honors God, and they replace it with something that is man-centered. Now, this, this can be confusing because it seems so pious in a way. It comes from those who were the teachers and they were recognized and, and upheld as, as the teachers of God's Word. Uh, and you know, they, they, they tell them, this is, this is what you need to do and this is right and this is good. I mean, can it be bad to take money that's going to any purpose and to say, oh, this money is dedicated to, to God? Uh, well, there's a sense in which that sounds right. It can be confusing. But Jesus calls out the problem. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. And he, here's the issue. Teaching as doctrines of God the commandments of men. They, they appear to be honoring God, but in reality, they're exalting themselves. Now, earlier, I mentioned my struggles uh, as a young Christian with a particular form of worship. Now, I didn't understand at that time why there were problems with this or, or what the problems really were, but I had a discomfort inside. And that discomfort came from this increasing sense that the goal here is it, it's not truly, although I struggled with it, it's not truly lifting up, exalting, honoring the Lord, but it's really the emotional state of the people to a greater degree. Doesn't mean it was all false worship or anything like that, but there was a problem there. It wasn't focused upon that which comes from a true heart for the Lord. Now, later I was to come to understand, as we read earlier, uh, out of the confession that, that God has helped us here. Uh, God has provided for us. He has given us parameters by which we should worship Him. And I was to come to find out as I read Scripture that there's example after example in Scripture of God rejecting the worship of those who devise their own ways and who worshiped according to their own desires. He has shown us how we should worship Him and how we should exalt Him. There is freedom within that, but He's done it for a good reason, and that's why we have every worship service. We have prayer as part of it. Every worship service, we have a time of confession of sin. We have the, the preaching of God's Word. We, we, we're called to worship by His Word. We sing the praises of God. There are other elements there. Now, of course, of course, these elements alone don't guarantee that our worship is going to be genuine, that it's going to be right. But they lend themselves to that. The Lord knows what we need. And when we begin to worship Him, in whatever ways enter into our hearts, in whatever ways seem right to us, there is a danger that enters in. And of course, that's not only true of corporate worship. When we depart from God's Word, when we begin to follow our own devices, our own ways, we stand the danger of 
supplanting, not that we even see it, but supplanting God's Word for us, His instruction, His commandments with our own ways. And so instead of exalting God, lifting Him up, honoring Him, obedience to Him, we can easily begin to exalt ourselves. And so what is it that impedes us from honoring God, from truly worshiping Him? It's that when we begin to substitute our own ways for God's ways, and in doing so, we exalt man. We exalt man rather than God. But where? Where does that problem of defilement come from? Where, what is the source of that which, which brings that about, that, that which leads us down that path of uncleanness, if you will, of being unable to be together with the Lord in fellowship, of doing these things? Now, if you want to make certain that you're able to honor God, truly to honor Him, to worship Him with a right heart, then you not only need to know what defiles, which is what we just looked at, but also where that defilement comes from so that you can make sure that it's taken care of and that it is removed, that it's not present in your life. Now, now that seemed to be what the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus to do, but not. Uh, Jesus is about to... If you look at verse 10, he's about to tell the people something very important. And it's something that, that runs contrary to where people's hearts normally are, the way they normally think, and yet it's foundational for an understanding of themselves, an understanding of, of, of man, understanding of man's need for God. And so he begins with these words. He says, hear and understand. Kind of like in, in, in John's Gospel, often he'll say, Truly, truly, I say to you. It's listen up, hear and understand. Then Jesus goes on to, to answer the question, How can we remove defilement so that we can worship and fellowship and, and, and honor the Lord? And his point here is that the Pharisees and the scribes were wrong in saying that defilement is removed by the washing of hands or by any other ceremonial act where you make sure that everything on the outside looks good. Everything on the outside is, is cleansed, including the food that we might take in and, and anything that holds food, if you speak about eating, that it's all ceremonially clean. Jesus is saying that they have a wrong understanding even of these laws of, of clean and unclean, the purpose behind them. Now look down with me at verse 17. This is, this is just after Jesus kind of rebukes Peter for being slow to understand, but, but he still goes on and, and he explains uh, to Peter, after Peter has asked, explain the parable to us. So verse 17, he says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach, and is expelled? In other words, you're not defiled by what comes in from the outside. That, that's not what stands as a barrier between you and God. Now, for the, for the scribes and the Pharisees, the way to remove defilement was to make themselves presentable to God. It was all about what they did on the outside. You know, we can be tempted to do the same, can't we? Uh, through our giving, 
if, if we give appropriately, we give out of what the Lord has given us, and, and we give faithfully and bountifully out of our finances, uh, or if we give out of our time, uh, maybe even in, in leadership positions, if you attend services faithfully, if you help maybe here with mercy ministry, or do work around the, the, the church building, or uh, any of the other things that we can dream up in our minds that are good, that are right, be good citizens uh, in our country and, and support it in the right ways, all of those things. Uh, surely, if you're good enough, if you do them well enough, you can be clean, and the Lord will be satisfied with you. Now, now that's the way that we think, isn't it? And that's what the world around us tells us again and again. It teaches, if you do enough, you'll be, you'll be clean. Remember what we read out of uh, Micah chapter 6? We read these words. With what shall I come before you, or before the Lord, and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of, of my soul? Uh, again, in, in, in this day, that was giving of everything. That was everything that God has called us to do. It was, it was that which is good. And the answer to that, Micah's answer, is the same as Jesus' answer is in our passage. None of that will do you any good because you're missing the source of the defilement. The real problem, the real problem is given in verse 18 back in our passage Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Now, clearly, he's speaking about the problem of the defiled heart, which is a problem that runs far deeper than anyone understands or is willing to accept by nature. Now, he, he's saying with respect to the Pharisees and the scribes, that, that the problem is so deep that they are rotten to the core. Look back at verse uh, 13. Every plant that my Father has not planted will be rooted up. He says of the scribes and Pharisees, let them alone, for they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. He's saying they've got this problem. They've got the problem of the defiled heart and it runs deep. It runs deep. It's not simple to just remove. And where does it come from? Look at verse 19. For out of the heart comes all these things, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. This is just a list and, and it runs deep and it runs wide. He's just beginning to touch the surface. These are all the things that flow out of the defiled heart. Sin? Yes, sin. But your real problem's not that. Your real problem comes from the defiled heart. In other words, if you want to honor God, if you want to worship God, this is the one thing that must be taken care of. This is the one defilement that you must sh make sure that you deal with. Think back to the clean and the unclean laws of the Old Testament. Their purpose was to show a holy God 
and sinful man. And therefore, the two could not come together in fellowship. Something had to be done to the heart of the man in order to take care of that defilement. And what do you need? You need a heart transplant. That's the only way to remove this defilement so that there can be honoring, there can be worship, there can be a togetherness with our God. And you know, that's where the beauty comes in because that's exactly what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Uh, When I prayed earlier, I was looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 1. It was talking about all the, the heavenly blessings that we have in Christ. And if you remember in there was forgiveness of sins, that we've been redeemed and and purchased and and bought anew. We've been given His righteousness. That's the one and only way to have this defilement removed. The one and only way, but it's available to every single person. There's a passage I turn to often, a favorite uh, of mine, but it so clearly brings this out. It's the Old Testament looking toward the new Ezekiel chapter 36, where the Lord says, I will. This is something He's going to do in the future. It's pointing to Christ. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. In other words, finally, this one problem that runs so deep that I'm going to take care of that problem. And he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. That's the heart transplant, right? And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's, that's exactly what Jesus is speaking about in this passage when he says, whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth, here's the problem, proceeds from the heart. Something has to be done about the heart because this is what defiles a person. You know, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, we get a look at that exact same thing that, uh, that Ezekiel was, was talking about. Uh, and that is, this relationship with God that we are able to have through Jesus Christ uh, in this covenant, uh, book of Hebrews, the author says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Notice, the defilement removed and togetherness with God is achieved. True fellowship with God. How do we honor the Lord? The question, how do we honor the Lord? The first step has to be having a new heart. It must be that we look to the Lord Jesus, we trust in Him, we know He has done exactly what we need, and therefore we give ourselves over to Him, and God does this work inside of us. And the result, one of the wonderful places that talks about that result is uh, Romans chapter 12, after we, we, we hear all about leading up to that point, all about this work that God, God does in a person that has done this. And then he says, 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's the one sacrifice that is the right sacrifice. Submit yourself to the Lord. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you might walk in His ways, that you might want the same things that He wants, that your heart might be aligned with His. And in all that you do, whether it's in worship, as we are today, or in the decisions that you make day after day, you'll have a heart more and more that's the same as His heart, that truly honors Him, that truly exalts Him. No longer exalting man, but exalting God over all. Please join me in prayer. Father, all these things that we read, Lord, out of Your Word, Old Testament and New, all fitting together, all uh, looking toward one point, that which we see here, the Lord Jesus, who has done that work that we need, who has made that atonement that we must have, that we can be renewed, that we can be together with You. We thank You for that, Lord. We thank You that You, you do that work in the heart of man as we become like these disciples, followers of Christ, as we submit ourselves to Him. We thank You. And therefore, we thank You that today, uh, in other days, in the future, that as we have done that, that we are able to truly worship You and to truly honor You as we live our lives. Uh, we need Your help in this day after day. We do pray for that help. pray this in Christ's name. Amen.